I read all the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I poured it out at a wardrobe door But I, I'm still seeking time Welcome to another enchanted episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we attempt to enjoy a second serving of the delicious books of our youth to see if they still taste as sweet or to discover they've gone off with age. On alternate episodes, we seek fresher vittles and review contemporary young adult fiction. My name is Laurie and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, purveyor of Amortentia potion and hand-warmed lotion, Patrick Moon. Hi, I don't know what those are. It's a love potion. (laughs) (laughs) I am a purveyor of those. (laughs) Several dozen lining my bookshelf. The keen on stitching, but still utterly bewitching, Brie. Bonjour. And more fun than a vibrating broomstick, the wise and the mystic, Keith Rowe. That's a lot to live up to. Hello. This episode, we reread a book that since the conception of Seeking Tumnus, we've used as the dividing line between classic and contemporary. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling, published in 1997 in the UK and kicking off in Australia and the US in 1998, is one of the best-selling children's books in the world, selling over 107 million copies. A warning, though. If you haven't read the Harry Potter series, I'm really sorry. Perhaps with the same internet access you're using to listen to this podcast, you should send the authorities a message so they can help you escape from that fundamentalist cult you're stuck in. (laughs) Trust me, despite what the Grand High Cleric of your batshit little order says, (laughs) reading children's books about wizards will not let the Dark One into your heart. Of course... I might be the Dark One. Disregard that last part. For the rest of you suffering from the effects of Ignorantes Magicae, we're going to spoil parts of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and probably a good slab of the rest of the series. If you're halfway through reading the series, hit pause and come back when you're still sniffling from its final pages. Without further ado, let's hear a sample of page one as read by our very own Keith Rowe. Chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called Grunnings, which made drills. He was a big beefy man with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large moustache. Mrs. Dursley was thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in very useful as she spent so much of her time craning over garden fences spying on the neighbours. The Dursleys had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion, there was no finer boy anywhere. The Dursleys had everything they wanted, but they also had a secret, and their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found out about the Potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as undursleyish as it was possible to be. The Dursleys shuddered to think what the neighbours would say if the Potters arrived in the street. The Dursleys knew that the Potters had a small son too, but they had never even seen him. 
This boy was another good reason for keeping the Potters away. They didn't want Dudley mixing with a child like that. When Mr and Mrs Dursley woke up on the dull grey Tuesday our story starts, there was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that strange and mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mr Dursley hummed as he picked out his most boring tie for work, and Mrs Dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled a screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them noticed a large tawny owl flutter past the window. There we go, page one. Do I have to stop? I think for legal reasons only, yes. <laughs> I was actually pondering that whilst we are doing it. What percentage of this is educational? Uh, yeah, 5%, yeah, good, good. It's all fair use is the, the reasoned legal advice that I've received. I wish we didn't have to stop because that start just bores me. No. Oh, really? Really. It's just not my favourite really page one. No, so I remember being given this book years and years ago and picking it up, reading the first three or four pages and then putting it back down again. And that rereading of page one has just screamed that back at me. You're one of these like publishers who, who dismiss the, the Beatles or <laughs> yes. Harry Potter and yes. on, like the first Based page. Based on the like, first three pages. Never, this Absolutely. will never catch up. Three notes in, oh, this is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just wasn't until a year or two later that I was – strongly encouraged to go back and give it a real shot. So, in fact, by the time I read The Philosopher's Stone, there you go, got it first time there, Laurie, just letting you know. (laughs) Books two and three had already been released. So, I was able to then read the first three in one big go, hence began the interminable wait for The Goblet of Fire. I understand that we're being introduced to the cast and giving you a little bit of background and setting the scene and a few little tidbits are scattered increasingly over the next few pages that do capt my attention, but this is really just missing this event still that says, boom, and I still really want to keep reading. Too subtle. Too subtle. I'm normally on the same page as you with the page ones, but I actually really dug this and it was a little bit different to how I remembered it too, which may be why I got so captured by it this time around because from my memory none of this prologue stuff had happened in the book the confrontation with the dark lord having just gone down and harry potter's parents having been killed and harry given to you know i'm sort of extending out a little bit more beyond the page one i suppose but this whole introductory section didn't exist as far as my memory was concerned i thought all this came out in dribs and drabs throughout the rest of the series and so i was really sort of interested straight away because i'm like oh holy crap i don't i don't recall there having been this introduction of dumbledore and mcgonagall and the owls and hagrid all within the first couple of pages this was some good stuff therein lies the value of visual media over time taking your memory of the book. Yeah. Was it in the movies as well? I, I just don't remember it at all. Anyway, I liked it. It was good. I dug it. 10 out of 10. What do you think, Laurie? I suspect that those are some of the best introductory paragraphs I've ever had the pleasure of reading <laughs> or listening to. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> Knowing the general buzz around Harry Potter and probably reading the blurb on the cover at the time when I first read it, you know that this book deals with the most extraordinary of events. And this deliberate and very sort of hyperbolic mundanity that the Dursleys practice is like, oh, it's like candied chestnuts to a mouse babe. Delicious and irresistible. Just a bit more anthropomorphism. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Keith, were you slavering for more? Yeah, I'm a bit like Pat in that I didn't remember this, but the reasons for that will probably become more apparent as we go on. But I enjoyed it a lot, and it's hard not to when you know what's coming. It's some good stuff. Well, dry old Dursleys clearly don't last forever. Bree, can you please sum up the rest of the book for us? 
Sure can. For those who have been indoctrinated in the cult lifestyle for the past <laughs> 20 years or so. Well, interestingly, that's my first phrase when I give the synopsis. So for those of you who've been hiding out with the very muggle Dursley family for the past 20 years, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, two out of two, is the first in a series of tales about a boy wizard whose parents were destroyed by a powerful dark wizard called Voldemort, who was in turn banished, leaving Harry alive, marked by a lightning-shaped scar on his forehead. Raised by his denialist aunt and uncle, the Dursleys, Harry grows up with hand-me-down clothes from his cousin Dudley, eating the family leftovers, and sleeping in a cupboard under the stairs. That is, until he discovers on his 11th birthday that a magical world exists in parallel to the Dursleys' world, and that Harry, like his late parents, is a wizard, Harry. The first book introduces the key players of the series through the medium of Harry's first year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, including Hagrid, the half-giant gamekeeper who knew Harry's parents, the eccentric and brilliant Albus Dumbledore, the headmaster, Severus Snape, evil potions teacher who has it in for Harry, and it finishes with an adventure where he is aided by the gauche and loyal Ronald Weasley, the determined and intelligent Hermione Granger. Harry and his friends battle an incarnation of Voldemort and prevent the life-giving Philosopher's Stone, three out of three, from falling into his evil grasp to prevent his immediate return to terrible power. Thanks, Bree. That's a good nutshell. Shall I tell you why I chose the book? Yes. That'd be great. It's fairly obvious, I think, given that the Harry Potter series has been used as the fulcrum upon which we base our contemporary fiction versus older style young adult fiction. Uh, it all swings around Harry Potter as the, the turning point of our younger days, I suppose. Mm. That that period where we, well, for, for, for three of us. Yeah, I was going to say for uh, three of us, we were just leaving high school as well. So, we were turning from young adults to... Whereas one uh, was... Uh, the same age as young Harry Potter. Oh, so was, was just just entering the uh, Hogwarts days at that time period. But uh, I didn't actually get into it until a little bit later either. I think maybe the the second book had come out, and my sister, who was a little bit younger than me, was crazy into Harry Potter at that time. And so I picked up her copy of the Philosopher's Stone and just absolutely delved into it. And I think I didn't move off the couch for the best part of the day, just head in this book, and then immediately onto the chamber. Of secrets after that and it was one of those really memorable reading experiences from my childhood where I just picked up the book and I immediately thought wow this is something freaking special and ever since then it's just been a cornerstone of our culture essentially it has existed in cinemas up until recent years the best part of my 20s have still been spent following Harry Potter and going to the movies and even though my fervor, I suppose, hasn't necessarily burnt with the heat of a thousand suns. I've still enjoyed it. It's still been sort of a cultural touchstone for me and my generation. And so I think it's freaking awesome that we're at this point where we can have a chat about it and talk about it and break down, you know, why is Harry Potter the the turning point for us? Is it is it just a sort of arbitrary time-based decision or is there something about this book that really elevates it above the rest of the field? Having said that, I, I guess I might ask you guys what you thought of it. The thing that really struck me on this rereading, and I think it was probably the first reread since the early noughties for me, was exactly how good the writing was in this book. I really didn't remember Rowling's writing being quite as good as it is. Rowling. Sorry, Rowling. Really didn't remember Rowling's writing being as good as it is, and I was just amazed 
at how sharp every aspect of the writing was. Rowling's humour, unmistakably British, was really evident and effective from page one to page done. British humour has always appealed to me, and the subtle understatement mixed with just casual absurdity was just beautiful to read through. Similarly, the clear sense of character that Rowling could evoke, sometimes just with a few sentences, was magic itself. Though the films, having watched them since reading most of the books, have shaped the visual representation of the characters in my mind the book really maintained ownership of their personalities and there were just so many good ones but it's really the trinity of harry ron and hermione added to the polar opposites i think of hagrid so warm and lovable and snape so cold and distant that really stand out most to me in this reading i guess my reading was affected by having read the whole series of course and i must admit i might have had a little bit of um how shall we say, cauldron steam in my eyes when it was revealed that Snape was trying to save Harry, not murderise him during the Quidditch match. (laughs) Knowing some of the truths that come later in the series really makes some of those moments just a bit more special. Do you still, just on that point though, do you still think that Snape comes across as a real so-and-so, doesn't Mm. he? Yeah, but he's he's horrible. Even with that that retrospect of knowing his motivations, he come is still an absolute turd. <laughs> really, who treats an eleven year old boy so blatantly bite with such blatant bias? It's really I found that quite marked as well. I mean, ultimately, Harry goes on to name his firstborn child after this man who is really awful to him. <laughs> he bullies the hell out of this kid. I just I thought that was just notable. Anyway, yeah, I don't sorry, know. I, I, I mean, particularly that moment, as I just mentioned, you know, he was the only one trying to save Harry at that point. And, oh, I don't know. Yes, he's hard. He's harsh. But he's got that love-hate relationship. And I can't blame him completely for, for that. I'll try not to get on your bad side. <laughs> Plus, you know, poor old Snape was bullied as a child, and I understand. Oh, oh. Oh. It's not his fault. <laughs> I don't know if any of you remember when you first read the book. Did you ever see that sort of twist coming that it wasn't Snape that was the enemy here? It was uh... Not until it happened. No, no way. For me, that was the most poignant moment of the entire, of the, of the seven books, was this huge realisation. I had to put it down and reread it a couple of times at the time. Because that's maybe something that's not so familiar in this children slash young adult book, mm. where they so convincingly lead you in one direction only to pull the switcheroo at the last moment. Mm. Yeah, that kind of misdirection isn't usually quite so subtle, I suppose, in a children's book. Hmm. And the seed that's planted here, and they discuss it a bit later in the book after the Quidditch match, that Snape was trying to save him and that Snape and Harry's father didn't get along. I don't think it's common as well to get exposed in children's books that your parents are fallible. And that's something that sort of comes out more and more as the story progresses, that Harry's father was actually a bit of a jerk to Snape. And Hmm. I think it was good that it adds more depth to the characters if... Your parents were never perfect. Certainly it's more often your dead father was the king and that makes you the king Mm. now as well. Right. Yes, exactly. In summary, I enjoyed the book immensely, much more than I remembered enjoying it the first time, being pleasantly surprised at the quality of the writing and enamoured of this wondrous world it created. It's grade A stuff. Pat? I agree with you completely, and the world, I think, is really the part that I agree with you the most about there, because it's so 
richly filled out. Just over the years, I think things like Quidditch have become, I don't know, well-known and almost passe in, in a way. But going back and reading it for the first time and just thinking about putting aside all of those things that what we know about it now and what we've seen at the movies and what we've read about since, all of these ideas were so cool. They were so original and inventive and Hogwarts and the culture that surrounds it is fleshed out so beautifully. It's it's partly to do with her writing, but also, I think, partly to do with what is just a spectacular imagination. She's done so well in bringing that to life in that kind of vivid detail because so many people try and fail with fantasy, I suppose. It, it becomes a mesh of cliche and drivel and awful ideas and wish fulfillment that's just sort of smashed out onto the page into absolute drivel. But everything here is conjured so perfectly. It, it is magical. And I definitely got that sense reading it again. And it took me back to that time. I can even remember like the first time I picked up that book and what I was doing. Like I can remember vividly where I was in the house, lying down on the couch with the book in my hand and what was going on around me. And it's very rare, I think, that books and stories can have that level of detail in your memory that they can bring you back to a time and a place and remind you of a period of your life because they've just been so well ingrained in your mind. And reading it again brought all of that back for me and it reminded me of what I enjoyed about it so much. It's a wonderful book and Rowling has done such a spectacular job with letting those books grow up with the people who fell in love with the very first one. What about you, Brie? I generally agree. I think what we're all trying to express here is that there's this X factor. There's this little something that brings all of those elements together. And the way I've sort of, you know, I've got my notes written down here. I'm saying there's a little bit of everything that makes this book, that makes a book memorable and great. And here it's that the characters are introduced so well. You can sort of see them. You can feel them. You can imagine that they're that they're real. You've got that resilient Harry and the very earnest Ron who's always striving for something more and the whip-smart and really feisty Hermione who is a fantastic character. She's far and away my favourite. And then there's this friendship which blossoms. But it's not just those, it's also the supporting characters. You've got that supervillain, that Voldemort. But on a day-to-day, I guess, more tangible level, what is this Snape? Like, why is he tolerated by Dumbledore? It's, it's that those <laughs> questions, you know, he's such an <laughs> ass. What is, what is going on? And you've even got the little mini villain in the pale and opinionated Draco Malfoy that you're introduced to very early on, chapter four or five. And there's this ongoing competition and unease between Harry and Draco, which just blossoms over the the remaining series as well. There's some really deep themes. There's this muggle versus witch and wizard. And then later, there's more of this pure blood wizard versus half blood wizard. You, You take all of these elements and you throw them into this incredibly nuanced plot, which there's threads that are sewn in this first story around Mrs. Fig and Sirius Black and the speaking to snakes that get picked up over over the years as the next lot are released. But there's just this, you're right, It's I think it was Pat that said it, it's just this magic, this magical element which ties it all together, this X factor. And I loved it. I did wonder whether I would find it infantile, but I think the beauty of this series is that the reader grows with the series. So, you know, you wouldn't pick up number seven without having read one through six. And that's important because an 11-year-old who's reading the first one isn't necessarily going to, I don't think, understand all of those dark themes and deal with some of the deaths that occur without understanding the whole whole bit. And I think that's a really elegant way of developing a storyline. 
I mostly enjoyed it, and the only exception is that I found that in book one, seriously, they go into that forest as a punishment for what I consider to be reasonably minor thing, and I just thought that was a bit ridiculous, and that's all. (laughs) Keith? (laughs) Because they didn't own up to what happened with the dragon. They were really looking out for Hagrid there. They've made this whole big deal of not going into the forest and how dangerous it is, and yet they're sending all these first years in as a grounding almost. I just I thought that was a bit... Dumbledore did say that he would trust Hagrid with his life. So yes, if, if he can trust his own life to Hagrid, he can trust four kids or three kids yeah. or whatever. Yeah, but why send them into a dangerous, like, I, I would trust you implicitly, Laurie, but I wouldn't give you a handful of children to take to Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little wobble in the, in the plot for the first story for me, but that's being very, very picky. One of the mm. kids is... Draco, though, so if you do lose one, there's a chance it's him. So, So, yeah, what did I think? I don't know. Is there much left to say after you guys have uh, given the glowing reviews you have? I I actually find myself in a strange and I'd say enviable position here because prior to this episode, I had not actually read this book. No! Are you kidding? Not all of it anyway. Yeah, no, that's... uh, well, congratulations on leaving the cult. <laughs> yeah, as you're all saying that, I was just sort of shrinking away here. But you've seen the movies. Yeah, I have. It might seem strange, given that I'm on a podcast where this exact book is used as a dividing point between sorting into the House of Classic or the House of Contemporary, and yeah, it is a bit strange. But yeah, like Pat's just alluded to, I've seen the movies and I'm no stranger to the content. My wife and my mum are massive fans of everything Harry Potter, and I too have indulged in all the movies, most of them several times, at least one of the video games. I've even consumed Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans, and I <laughs> knew who the wizard was from my chocolate frog. So, And aren't you going to Harry Potter World at some stage this year? Yes, that's correct. So yeah, while mm. the book is technically new ground for me, I'm certainly no stranger to the territory that it does cover. What flavour beans did you have? Vomit. Did you get the vomit one? I don't think so. I can't recall whether they were actually identified on the back of the packet so you could avoid the ones that were a bit Ah. um, bit naff. But, yeah, I did have some that weren't great and that was part of the process of enjoying them, I think, having those. Mm. All of this was positioned to make this exercise even more rewarding for me, I'd say, because this is the pure, unfiltered, unspoilt Hogwarts, direct from the mercurial mind of Joe Rowling, this is the sanctum of Potter, and being the fan that I am, this was going to be a much more convenient way for me to travel the globe to watch my team play in the flesh. (laughs) So that's a bit of a build-up there. Did it live up to that hype? Of course it did. It's Harry Potter, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah, almost every scene in this was familiar to me in a really positive way. Most of all, I loved the way that the three main characters, and Laurie nicely summed it up by calling them the Trinity. They're so different, but together they're so complementary. You have Hermione Smarts, Ron with his heart on his sleeve, and the quick-thinking Harry. Each of them throughout the book had turns as being my favourite. Did you guys have a favourite? I know Breeze mentioned that Hermione was hers. I think I'm probably on board with that too. I like Hermione. Mm. One thing I found a little bit, again, that jarred my memory was that uh, they didn't really befriend Hermione until a good halfway through the book, which is not how I recalled it. I I have these memories of Hermione sitting down in the train car with Ron and Harry and them sort of becoming the trio at that very early stage. But it's it's not really how it plays out in the book. So again, just the, the quirks of memory there. 
but yeah, Hermione, for show. I quite like that, the way that her and Ron in particular had this boysy, girlsy irritation with each other and that's what caused, you know, that was a necessary plot device to get Hermione off on her own where she encountered the troll, but I, I liked the way it did that. But yeah, I didn't remember that mm. either, having seen the movie several times, not having read the books. It wasn't just the boy and girl dynamic, though. She was a bit of a snooty little know-it-all and he was a bit mean. And well, I don't think she's a snooty I agree. Girl. She's just a smart kid. <laughs> Thank you. She certainly had smart. some snootiness to her. Definitely. No, yeah. She's just confident, agree. right? Yeah. She's just confident in her abilities. She has a confident exterior. There is nothing, nothing wrong with that. Own it, um, Hermione. Own it. <laughs> oh, I love her as well. Um, as I said, yeah, my favourite sort of changed throughout. If I did have to choose one, it might actually be Ron though. Right. Just like the way oh. that, you know, he had no filter on his emotions. The world, it's just amazing, the world. It's so well thought out and it's just so believable as well, the way it coexists with our own world. On top of that, the way that, People like Neville and Draco, you only see them in fleeting moments, but they, they're fleshed out already. It's as though they're familiar and they have a backstory, they're believable. And that really plays out over all seven books as they grow into their own as well. So, for such a, a book for children, it does have quite a, an extensive cast of characters that all play their part throughout. The characterization is really masterful in that respect. It's pretty clear that Rowling had an idea of the trajectory of all the characters and she set them upon that very early in the piece. Hmm. She either planned these things very carefully or she was able to retcon them in a yeah. <laughs> cohesive kind of way. Yeah, she's fantastic and the writing was fantastic. You sort of just blow through it in, in such a short period of time because it's so enjoyable and there's nothing chorish about it at all. It's amazing. Will you read the subsequent books? Yeah, I think I'll go on to read them definitely. I do have, or Lisa has copies of them all, so they're quite accessible to me. I don't have them on the Kindle, which is a bit of a pain to get them through the Pottermore store. But <laughs> So the ones that she has are quite hefty. But having read that, it'd be difficult for me not to go on to read them. And we have started reading the first one to Daniel. So, it'll follow on that at some point I'll be reading them to him. Just bear with number two a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, number two, I think, is kind of a necessary book and a necessary movie to get us to to where we're going. But in terms of what's happening, it's a bit episodic and a bit sort of doesn't Mm. seem to – the full narrative hasn't swung into motion yet. The first book's amazing because you're being introduced to this world, but the second is kind of just moving us along to where we need to go. One thing Pat mentioned before that I wanted to talk to was that this is not the first time you've seen a young boy go off and become a wizard. I think the thing that really made it special and just not another trope that's trotted out is – the fact that it's actually really fun. We've talked about how the characters are interesting and they're funny, but the whole adventure and the whole idea of going to a wizard school and the way it's executed with the train and then the boats and the sorting hat, all of that stuff, you wish it was you. Yeah, There's no you point do. in the book where you're like, no, this sounds too strange or scary or whatever for me. You really, really want to go to Hogwarts just because it sounds so fun and amazing. Yeah, because it gives you that connection with the real world at the start. It kind of is believable. It gives you bits and pieces as you go. So, it's not like you're suddenly cast into this world. You're, along with Harry, discovering this wizardry, this, this world that exists that you've never known about. There's a sense of glee to the whole thing, isn't there? Mm. From the, the, the sort of candies and things. It's almost a world that's built for children. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like the magic is there for for these adult things as well, but you see it with the jelly beans, the chocolate frogs, the wizard cards where they're actually alive in the cards. It's all mystical and it appeals to children and it's nicely balanced, I think, with the shadow and the dark because it's not all happiness, but that is the foundation upon which this world is built. The other fun thing I found as well, and it it becomes more apparent in the later books with Ron's dad, but 
the gleeful joy in which the wizarding folk sometimes look at the muggle contraptions or devices <laughs> or technology <laughs> and the joy that they have at discovering what these funny muggle real world things do. Keith, what have you got in store for us this episode? It's Quidditch, and this is a bit of a <laughs> oh man, a pump. This, well, this won't this won't play out how you're thinking, possibly, Pat, because we don't get broomsticks in the mail. You're not going to tell us to look under our chairs. You get a broomstick. <laughs> you get a broomstick. No, that'd be fun. But it's just in this world that's so well thought out, the dynamics of the game Quidditch are preposterous. <laughs> And it's funny because this is a sport that you can actually play. There are Quidditch leagues around the world that play the game, but they have modified the rules, which are inherently broken. So we have seven. <laughs> what? <laughs> not, not, don't fancy all this legend of Quidditch. I thought the rules were sparkling, glistening, well. and perfect. Never mind that they probably entail large amounts of traumatic brain injury. For small <laughs> well, I'm, not even, I'm not even referring to that side of things. It's more to do with, and this fits in nicely with a narrative because you're going to always have some very dramatic finish to a game involving the golden snitch because, of course, that's the only way to finish the game. You have these six out of seven players on the team competing for the quaffle to score these 10 points per goal goals and then the final player on each team, the seeker, hunting down the golden snitch the catching of which results in the game ending and 150 points being awarded to that team. So if you do the math there, it pretty much ensures that whoever catches the golden snitch will win the game. It largely renders everything other than the seeker and the snitches irrelevant. I don't know. Because one game went for six <laughs> yeah, months. Yeah, three. Or that's right. Three months is the longest that a Quidditch match has gone for, longest on record in the whatever the book is that chronicles the sport. Hermione could tell you. <laughs> no, definitely was three months. That's another thing that got my goat, so to speak, because this is an arena sport. Can you imagine going to a game as a spectator and saying, well, you know, it could be over in five minutes or it could be over in three months? How does that work? <laughs> well, that's more bang for your buck, isn't it? It's like triple overtime. Yeah. A hockey well, game. it's beautiful. You're, you're there for twice as long as you're expecting to be. But you're I hope there's the no pets seat. or anything waiting at home to be fed. Feels like someone should have touch that up a little bit before it went to print to make it a bit more of a believable scoring system. And maybe that's just that I've been watching sports my entire life that I took issue with this, but it's only a minor issue. I was just quickly trying to look up there what the name of the sport was from Hello from the yeah. Oh, Mittens. It's not... Mittens, yeah. It's <laughs> at least mittens. it's not Yeah, well, that's the perfect parody of this. That's what it's based on. So, yeah, I right. think that really nails the points, of, particularly as to how long the games go for, because in that as well, they go for an obscene amount of time. I really liked Quidditch. I thought it was nicely put together and I liked the rules. And I, I, it did cross my mind that perhaps the audience would find it a little bit anticlimactic if the snitch gets caught in five minutes like it does <laughs> in one occasion in the book. But there's so much fun stuff going on in these people's lives anyway. Like surely they can <laughs> they can handle the disappointment of a slightly shorter Quidditch match than anticipated. Well, the other thing is that you could possibly win a game even if your seeker was injured. So if your seeker got injured by a bludger in the first few minutes, you don't necessarily have to lose. It just changes the game dynamic. If your seeker gets injured, then the other person's seeker is the only one that's going to capture it, and they're not going to capture it until they've got enough balls through the hoops to... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep, that's well, right. They can wait well, it out. Good point. What roles would you prefer, each of you? Would you prefer to be seeker, beater, goalie, or is there anything else? The uh, ones who are meant to score. What are they Chasers. Yeah, the chasers. Chaser. What would you prefer to be, yeah. Pat? Uh, 
I feel like yeah, having to deal with the bludgers, the balls that come and try and hit you in the head, mm. would be too much responsibility for me, and I would probably hurt myself and my teammates. <laughs> so I would, I'd either have to go for Seeker or uh, the ch- Chasers, is it? Um, just for the pure reason that I'm hopeless with a bat and I would kill somebody. Surely Seeker is just the answer for everyone. Like, it is the most prestigious position. It's the best one. Like, just move on. But you're not really playing the game, are you? You're just kind of, like, chilling out, cruising Mm. around, occasionally chasing the snitch. But, you know, I feel like the other ones are the ones who are actually engaged in a sporting event whilst the Seeker (laughs) just mucks about. Yeah, I think I'd like to be a chaser. That way, if my Seeker didn't catch the snitch in time, I could... Blame somebody else for our loss. <laughs> I'm a real sportsman. Nice. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think Chaser probably. What about you, Bree? Yeah. Where would you go? Obviously, it sounds like Seeker. Seeker. Is no other okay. option. Yep. All the glory. Cruise around all the glory. <laughs> yeah, Bree's totally right there. After my tirade, I have to go with Seeker as well. But in terms of being in the sport, Chaser is definitely the position to be because, yeah, like we saw in Harry's first game, for a large part of it, he was almost like a spectator just in a really good position on a broom. The second most glorified position is the Chaser because they score goals. Before I move on, I want to touch on the renaming for the US market, just to get it out there and get it quantified and qualified as to why so, that So, happened. podcast hosts can actually pronounce the name? <laughs> <laughs> That's one Sorry, reason. Larry. Philosopher is not a challenging word. <laughs> it wasn't before I started recording. <laughs> what does do you know why it was changed, Keith? Because I certainly have no idea why it went from the philosopher's stone to the sorcerer's stone. Yeah, and I'll quote from an article here that I don't have the source or the reference for. Sorry, article. That's good practice. Uh, it dates back. <laughs> It dates back to when the rights were sold for the first book. Scholastic Corporation bought the US publishing rights for what then was known as Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, forking out a comparatively high 105000 for the privilege. This was a long, long time before the world had heard of Hogwarts. As such, Scholastic had doubts over the name. It argued that children wouldn't buy a book with the word philosopher in the title. This is sometimes reported as it was because it believed American readers weren't clever enough to understand <laughs> it. <laughs> Outrageous. But I mean, that's not actually like, so. They're as bad as Brie, but instead, instead of reading the first page, they didn't even get past the title where they're like, people are going to buy this. Well, that ties into some of Brie's comments previously on publishers. They're not really the most forward-thinking lot, it seems. Scholastic, had it held worldwide rights, would likely have made the same recommendation. It just wasn't sold on the word. As it only held sway over the US publication, it asked J.K. Rowling for an alternative title. Did I say Rowling? Yes. You did. Bloody hell, Laurie. J.K. Rowling for an alternative title. She suggested Just Harry- think of the Limp Biscuit song. <laughs> J.K. Rowling, Rowling, Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> she suggested Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but later admitted in a web chat for BBC Red Nose Day in 2001 that she regretted the decision. When asked if it bothered her that the name of the book had been changed in the US, she wrote that they changed the first title, but with my consent. To be honest, I wish I hadn't agreed now, but it was my first book and I was so grateful that anyone was publishing me, I wanted to keep them happy. Did she ever change the title back for that market or has it stayed the Sorcerer's Stone ever since? It stayed the Sorcerer's Stone, yeah. It's set in stone. (laughs) I read on Wikipedia, so grain of salt, I guess. I was skimming through it and it said that they thought that the Philosopher's Stone didn't have enough of a hint of magician and alchemy for the American market and that Sorcerer's Stone did. 
But what did they call the movie? The same. It was a Sorcerer's Stone as well in the US market. That holds true even now on my HD DVD copy that I watched just the other day. (laughs) (laughs) Does that player still work, Keith? It does. Which HD DVD is like the superior alternative to Blu-ray that got quashed by Sony. (laughs) It's a bit of a relic, isn't it? I want to whinge about my Betamax player being <laughs> unfairly pushed out of the market. Yeah, that was a similar thing, but the shoe was on the other foot in that case. But yeah, so and I'll zone out over here, not understanding this technical <laughs> conversation once again. All right. Well, while we're on the topic of the movie, what did everybody think? I watched it just a few days ago. Keith, did you watch it recently? Sure did. And no, Bree and Pat, I've watched it many times, many years ago. Yeah, I've also seen it many times, but also quite a while ago. Uh, the only thing that I really wanted to point out, well, there's two things. One, the actors look amazingly young. <laughs> <laughs> it's just incredible how small and childlike they are compared to, obviously, the last film which came out, which is much, much more recent. So, yeah, I was just amazed at how small they were. It was, I don't know, it was cute. Yeah. <laughs> From memory, they're acting improves over the films as well? Is that a fair statement? It surely does. (laughs) It it does, but they still weren't that bad. I mean, there's a lot of movies with terrible child acting that just really stilted and forced, but I was surprised it was pretty smooth. Yeah, that's right. I would agree with that. I think maybe there were some lines from Hermione or Emma Watson that seemed a bit It's not very good, is it? (laughs) (laughs) But for the most part, yeah, they were pretty good. The worst actor, I think, was the Irish lad. Seamus. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was quite bad. And I watched the deleted scenes as well, and there was one scene with him that was deleted for obvious reasons because his acting was just <laughs> oh, atrocious. <no>. <laughs> this was the 56th take, and we decided we just didn't really need it on that day. Exactly. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention was the aesthetic. The wizards in this film and the, the setting of all those sort of wizardly places, like Hogwarts, but also Diagon Alley and, and wherever else, it's just incredible. They're not like bright purple, bold wizard clothes with yellow stars on them. They're this really sort of crusty old English, well-worn in and almost slightly dirty um, clothing. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Everything was all sort of, it's made more real. And I think it's a bit like the Star Wars movies where a lot of sci-fi movies, when they were released around the same time, they had everybody dressed up in silver suits and everything was shiny and polished and new. Whereas Star Wars had this sort of gritty, real-world kind of lived-in setting for a lot of the scenes, like the Mos Eisley Cantina or Mos Eisley itself. Or You just want to watch a, a young boy waiting around in a swamp with an alien hanging onto his back. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's like, your, just, your idea of <laughs> perfect sci-fi. <laughs> uh, everything's covered with this sort of film of grime. Oh, gosh. isn't Doesn't Elijah Wood carry Gollum at one point? They travel together. Yeah. I don't know about carrying him. I don't think he carries. I'm him. not aware of him ever yeah. carrying Gollum. I'm just imagining Gollum on his back like Yoda. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're starting to engage in discussion about Gollum, so that's good for you. <laughs> yeah, so the aesthetic of that really old European setting with the little stores that look really like alchemist shops with little bottles filled with things and everyone's costumes are a little bit traditional, I guess you'd say. I love that aesthetic and I really paid attention to it during my watching of the film again and thought it was amazing. The set design, the costume design was just spot on. Really good. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Maybe the the, the three-headed dog looked a little bit... Mm. 
Like the technology's obviously improved since that film's come out. It's still pretty good yeah, though. You could tell um, it was just a normal dog with two rubber heads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like Zaphod Zaphod Beeblebrox. Yeah, from the early Hitchhiker's movie. <laughs> um, and there were a couple of scenes where the the painted backgrounds were a bit obvious. Yeah, it was really shown up in HD DVD, which is phenomenal quality if anyone didn't realise. <laughs> oh gosh. No, but yeah, there was it's got all, all the pixels. For the time, like it, it was pretty good. But apart from that, I really enjoyed watching it again. Oh yeah, it didn't it didn't really impact on the enjoyment of the movie. It was fantastic. So I have to ask because I'm the one that's done this incorrectly. But for you guys, when you first watched the movie, how well did they embody the characters and the world that you had read and imagined from the book? Uh, I thought the casting was spot on. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, you always lose something by seeing a movie first. And I'm sorry, Keith, <laughs> but you you miss out on your own imagination. And so for me, Hagrid was never quite the same and Harry looked a little bit different. I mean, they absolutely captured the essence and things for me, but the book's always a bit better. For me, having read it first, I had these strong images in my mind who the characters were but I found since that the the movie characters have replaced those a little bit and when I read it again now I found it very difficult not to imagine at least the core trio of Harry, Ron and Hermione as you know Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint and Emma Watson they, yeah, they, they've that. become so sort of pervasive in my mind and I think they are Agreed. spectacularly well cast. As far as book and movie adaptations go, I think this is possibly the pick of the bunch. You might, with others, have this sort of divisive movie versus book crowd, but with this, they're sort of a rich tapestry that work really well together. Uh, I would put it up there with Lord of the Rings, which I think is also spectacularly well done. I can't think of any other movies apart from those two that were books that turned into movies that were anywhere near as successful. We haven't mentioned Stephen King yet, so The Shining is one, but they go in very different directions, the movie and the book. Mm. I was a little bit sad watching Alan Rickman as Snape because it was such good casting. He was so good mm. as Snape. And reading the book, I only hear Alan Rickman's voice. So I was a little bit sad watching him on the screen. He was the perfect embodiment of Snape. He absolutely owned that role. And it's going to be one of those ones where undoubtedly down the track they'll do a Harry Potter reboot or something along those lines, as seems to be the the way that things go these days. But I can't imagine anyone ever eclipsing what he has done there. He was just a phenomenal actor in all respects, in pretty much everything he did, but he just took that role and hit it out of the park. Is that it for the movie? Yes. So, Laurie, you had a mystery something as well that you were going to surprise us with. Ah, yes. I've pilfered ideas from across the internet and come up with, or directly stolen in some cases, a number of would-you-rather questions. (laughs) Would-you-rather, of course, being the game where you're presented with two equally desirable or undesirable options and must choose one or the other. These will be Harry Potter-related, and there are nine in total. Let's begin. Your answering order will be Keith, Bree, Patrick. Got it? Okay. Would-you-rather... For the period of one year, have nearly headless Nick watching you every time you practiced a replication spell with your loved one, tutting at every missed stroke, (laughs) or have moaning Myrtle float face to face with you every time you poop and then fly off screaming the results to your neighbours or co-workers. I'd definitely go with moaning Myrtle. (laughs) Nearly headless Nick. (laughs) 
Is, can, can we ask why? Yes. Because <laughs> for me, it's a straight up moaning myrtle as well, no doubt. So I'm not quite sure what possessed you there, Brie. Two's company, three's a crowd. <laughs> I reckon two's a crowd when you're picking. It is. It's not, it's not optimal, but, you know, when you have choices. You guys have had discussions. You guys have had discussions about, you know, timing your events within. Uh, the golden window. <laughs> yeah, the golden window at work. The moment when you walk into a cubicle and the entire bathroom is empty and you complete your business, wash your hands and exit before anybody else walks in. That is the best kind of work related activity. Yeah, right. So I would have thought that for all of you that this would that this moaning myrtle would therefore be the worst of the worst. I mean, oh, there's I cramping know. your style and then there's cramping your style. <laughs> I'm not sure I could cope with someone tutting at every missed stroke. <laughs> Surely it's just striving for excellence. Mm. <laughs> it could be like a champion, a champion by the end of the year with all of the constructive feedback you've acquired from. Uh, or just an sneak. emotional mess that can't perform. And with the Moni Myrtle option, sort of the misery is cast upon all those around you rather than directly at yourself. Yeah, and it's your neighbours too. So I'm like, well, I live in a big city. I don't know them that well. It's, I mean, it's going to be awkward when they're sweeping the pavement out the front and I walk past. But other than that, I think we're okay. All right, let's move on. Would you rather be a nasty white-haired little shit called Draco Malfoy? <laughs> Despised by your peers, but survive, or be Fred Weasley, loved by all, but die in battle against Voldemort's crew. Yeah, Fred Weasley. Fred Weasley. Oh, it's all about the glory. Man. Yeah, I find that a little bit tougher. Would I rather be like a little shit, or would I rather be dead? <laughs> but you still, presumably, <laughs> you get to live through the, you know, the, the life before the death. He died at like age freaking eighteen, though. No. Yeah, but it's not much, yeah, is but it? Draco. He's detestable in every way. If you're Draco, there's a chance that you'll you could become be a better person. Which yeah, I think well, he I'm does. assuming I'm assuming here yeah, you don't have a, a say in his character. You're just embodied by it. So you're an asshole, or you're a great guy. But he's an asshole for his teenage years, which probably a number of people can relate to in a big <laughs> bad way. Uh, so they can redeem themselves afterwards. I'm going to be contrarian. I'm going to rock Draco. I don't want to be nice. dead. See you later, suckers. <laughs> That's just what Draco would have said as well. <laughs> All right, back to the blue. Would you rather have sex with Dumbledore or Voldemort? Dumbledore, come on. Dumbledore. That's not even a question. He's a, he's a fun, kinky guy, I think. Oh, these are meant to be difficult questions. <laughs> Next. All right. I'd probably give Dumbledore a spin (laughs) anyway. (laughs) All right. This one's a bit longer, so patience until the end. Would you rather go to Chico Rolly Bonks, a wizarding school that really exists, but it is the only one, but all of the teachers and students talk in broad, borderline bogan Australian accents? E.g., bugger me, Harry Potter, I reckon we'd better nip off to that Bonza little bottle of the Savo, because if I have to stick through that iffy Drongo Snape's class sober, I'm going to cark it. Like me durry with your wand, would you, cobber? Or go to the real Hogwarts, but you put on 15 kilos and get cursed to nudity for the entire first year. Yeah, I have to go to Hogwarts. Hogwarts embodies Harry Potter, the world of Harry Potter, so... Hogwarts it is. You're embodying quite a bit there too. <laughs> well, everyone already knows all about my stools, so they might as well be able to see everything as well. 
Brie? It's Hogwarts. There's there's no magic to a broad Australian nonsense magic school. I mean, I think the magic is there too. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else would be equivalent, but everybody just talks in Australian accents. Yeah, all right, Chico Rolly school. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's Chico Rolly bonks. <laughs> Get it right. Five points from Sausage Roll House there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Hogwarts definitely has a bit of an appeal and I've never been much of a fan of broad Australian accents, so I think I'm probably going to go be nude with Keith. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be the the first year wearing a sorting hat, nothing else. You've gone to another house or... Have fun, lads. <laughs> Before I can ask this next question, I need you to quickly think of your favourite three books, and it's just whatever comes to mind first. It doesn't have to be your absolute final list for all time. But Hang on. Our uh, favourite three Harry Potter books? No, no, just three books in general. Oh, first three that God. pop into your mind as being in the realm of being your favourite. Okay, so 221163, Danny the Champion of the World, and Dark Knight Returns. Oh, good one. The only one that I came up with was Dirt Music, Tim Winton, but I could also throw in Cloud Street and the Turning, three Tim Wintons. (laughs) (laughs) Well well done, Tim Winton. (laughs) Got a fan. (laughs) The Dog Stars by Peter Heller, Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, and let's say Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb. Excellent choices. All right, good, good. Here's the question. Would you rather have written Harry Potter books one through five before getting writer's block and never finishing the series, making squillions of dollars but being hated and hounded by fans, or live as you are now but each of those three books you mentioned earlier were never written, erased from history? Ooh. And we're not squillionaires, I take it? No, you're just living exactly as you are now, Without except those three books have been erased from history, so you'll never have a chance. Yeah, I'm going to keep them. those books and I'm going to be insanely rich and be insanely unliked. But I think the Harry Potter community will forge ahead on their own and develop some very well-written fan fiction to complete the series. Agreed. HBO will probably Done. pick it up as a TV series and overtake where you're at with the books anyway and <laughs> people can get their resolution that way. Agreed. Done. Oh, but it would never be <laughs> just the same. Well, I don't know. I, I agree with you guys. I'm going to go with I feel like if George Martin can put up with that level of hate, then I can do it too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but he's theoretically going to finish them. What if he doesn't? Well, it's been written by television. Hmm. Okay. All right, well, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and and you might have Neil Gaiman coming out and supporting you too, saying, <laughs> Keith Rowe is not your bitch. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> I, I saw a good tweet the other day from uh, James Blunt. Somebody had written a tweet to him saying, let me tell you everything that's wrong with your beautiful word by word. And he'd written back saying, let me tell you why I don't care, dollar by dollar. <laughs> I, I feel like that's how I would be if I'd written the five books and was a school year there. Fair enough. <laughs> would you rather eat a nutritionally complete Bertie Bott's Every Flavoured Bean as your meal, every meal for a year, and it's costing you the same as your current food intake, or... Vomit slugs for an hour, <laughs> once a month, for 12 months. <laughs> God. <laughs> once a month. So you have to eat one bean per meal, and it's totally nutritionally complete, but you only get that one flavour until your next <laughs> meal. <laughs> that sounds 
absolutely horrific. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. So you have to eat them for the entire hour? 12 times a year? No. You just eat a bean. No, no, no. It's a bean, you no, just no. eat a bean, and that's the your slugs. entire meal. I thought you said you eat them Sorry? for an hour once a month. No, you vomit them. No, you vomit them. Come on, this is straight from Harry Potter, the vomiting slugs. Yeah, but you can't do it for an hour every Gosh. month. Your stomach muscles are never going to actually <laughs> recover from the last month. No, because you're not vomiting vomit. You're not having bile ejected. It's just the slugs are sort of coming from yeah, just- your abs. You're going to tear your abs. They're never going to repair between months. You have to go with option one. Yeah, I'm going with option one. It might be in a way, you know, a relief to not have to make the decision about food and to have it so well, e- so easily prepared. Uh, think of the but you're not saving. guaranteed to get good flavours. No, you're not, but you're getting the nutrition. You might even get a slug flavour. <laughs> you're guaranteed to get the slug flavour if you're vomiting. That's right. Yeah, that's it. There's no guarantee that you're going to get a good flavour, but it's no guarantee that you'll get a bad one, or more so, there is a guarantee yeah. that the slugs will be horrendous. I'm I'm on board with that too, Keith, and for similar logic to you, because I can't make my meals nutritionally complete as it is, so I feel like it's probably going to be an upgrade for me in a lot of ways. Ah. <laughs> my bachelor lifestyle will be significantly <laughs> remedied by these miracle beans. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it tastes like grandma's armpit. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh, how do they do I mean, the I research I know for what that, that tastes like anyway. <laughs> Would you rather be a squib or a muggle? Squib being a child that's born to magical parents but having no magical powers yourself or a muggle that's never exposed to the magical world at all? I think a muggle. I can still live the magic through books and movies and TV and that sort of thing. So I'd rather not be able to see it so close and not touch it directly than... A muggle as well. My life's not that bad. (laughs) In fact, it's pretty great, so... I'm going to be contrarian again. I'm going to say squib. I really like the idea of getting up close and personal. Like, even if you you can't engage in it. Like, I like looking at whales and I never sort of go, man, I'm so depressed that I can't be a whale. Or even music, right? Yeah. I can't play music. I'm not a musician, but I love listening to Tool. Yeah. I I like philosophy and I'm not a (laughs) philosopher. <laughs> yeah, I I'm I'm totally want to be there. If this if this stuff exists, I'm I want to be up there with it. I'll get my iPhone out in lieu of a wand, just film it. Yeah, you've almost won me around there, Pat. Because yeah, you'd be able to live in the world still. You just won't be able to. Uh, you'd be looked down on by everyone there. But I like to be liked. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you'd rather die than be unliked. <laughs> Seems so. <laughs> it's not just about being unliked with that one, though. You are Draco Malfoy. You have to be an arsehole. Mm. Would you rather be Harry or Hermione? Hermione. That's not a question. Sorry, I've got to jump in there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have more Why? of a point than that? Or just that's not a question? <laughs> she's fantastic. She's confident. She's brainy. She's absolutely fantastic. She should have probably ended up with Harry Potter. Yeah, even... Joe admits that herself. Uh, yeah, I feel like Ron gets a pretty rough go there in terms of retrospectively not being allowed to. <laughs> Sorry, Ronnie. <laughs> Here's your sister. Is that how it works? <laughs> the old switcheroo. Yeah, I'm going with Harry Potter here. Hermione is fantastic, but I like the idea of having the world revealed to you in this really dramatic way. It's pretty dark because your parents are being murdered, but yeah, I like Harry. I think I'm probably more like 
Hermione in my real life, i.e. nerdy and would probably tell everybody, don't leave the common room, don't go out, we're going to get in trouble. (laughs) But I would like to be Harry. I like uh, his adventurous spirit and also I want to be on the Quidditch team. I just want to be on the Quidditch team so badly. (laughs) Two left. Would you rather be a wizard with squib children or a muggle with two children, one being a wizard and the other being a muggle? So that's you're a wizard with children with no magical abilities or you have no magical abilities whatsoever, but one of your children ends up being a wizard, but the other one's That's an easy one, I think. I'll be a wizard with squib children because I'm going to love the children yes, just as much children. if I'm a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the opposite. I am very happy being a muggle and a talented one at that, in my own opinion. And I think that it would be wonderful to have a child who has these incredible abilities because my, uh, my other, chi- other child no, because my other child has its own amazing abilities. Yeah, sure, they do a really great macaroni spray painted with silver birthday card, but they can, can they ride a broomstick? Yeah, that's going to be the difficult part, dealing with a sibling rivalry. Wouldn't it just be sibling rivalry? I would imagine that that other child would have mental issues for the rest of their life. All right, enough shenanigans. Let's get to scoring with Pat's. Was Bree going to ask us something as well? Oh, yeah, I was going to ask one of you. Well, Laurie, I've... I did this for Laurie beforehand and I've already canvassed my mum and my sister and I'll see if I can canvass a few other people this week. I have a little mini Vox Pop. I think through the magic of post-production, we should just listen to it right now. And I'm going to give you, I think there's 10 word associations. So just the first thing that comes to mind when I say any of these words. Quidditch. Fast. Broomstick. Broomstick. Quaffle. Quaffle. Fun. Fun. Leaky cauldron. Mm, 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 pub. Let's go. Drugs. Fix it, dear Liza. Butterbeer. Drinking. Butterbeer. Yum. <laughs> Hermione. Girlfriend. Oh, controversial. There will be people up in arms over that. <laughs> Sorry. My favourite. Gorgeous. Hot. Emma Watson. Mmm. <laughs> Severus Snape. Nasty person. Unknown. True. Potions, potions, potions. Expelliarmus. Alahamora. Ooh, sounds maybe like a wizard or something. Bathroom. Hagrid. Heart of gold. Lovable. Lovable. Wizard. <laughs> wizard. Neville. Longbottom. My brother. <laughs> Grows on you. Longbottom, I don't know. Hot. Loyal. Chubby. Voldemort. Slitty nose. Nostrils. Bad man. Probably shouldn't say that name. He who cannot be named. Snake. Bastard. Jon Snow. What? Bastard. Knowing nothing. Uh, Winter. Uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the girl's name. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong show. The redhead, whatever her name is. John Snow. Not heard of that name. Not my area. <laughs> he grits. Grip hook. What? A weapon? Who? No, no, no freaking idea. What was that again? <laughs> hmm. Not sure. Boof. Uh, boof. Uh, grip hook. 
I'm going to have to delete this from future ones. <laughs> yeah. Goblin. Hogwarts. Academy. Castle. Castle. Gryffindor. Harry Potter. Love him. Character. Uh, Scar. Magical. Harry. I don't know. He's just Harry. <laughs> Harry. I have managed to coerce, beg, bribe. I'm not really sure which one it is, which which method was successful as yet. My sister, the famed Bronte, to join us. Yay! <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Seeking Tumness. I'm very grateful to my mum for coming on today. Thanks, mum. Say hi. Hi. Now, I know you've read Harry Potter. Correct, yes. You've read them all? Yes. At least once? Yes. Closer to twice? Probably, yes. Closer to thrice? Um, not all of them. And have you seen all of the movies? Yes. One or all? All. All. Yeah. Do you have a favourite? Probably the later ones. I think the acting... <laughs> I mean, they were obviously kids when they started out. Before we start, have you read any Harry Potter? Probably a couple of chapters of the first book. And would you say that was within the last decade or the last two decades? Probably in the last two decades. Do you have any fond memories of any of those movies slash chapters? No. Do you think that Daniel Radcliffe is very good looking? Well, I've only... I've only seen him as a as a child. As a child, I suppose. So he was a quite a good looking young man. Hmm. And I had a chat to my good friend Kate, super fan of Harry Potter and general nerd. A family friend recommended I read it and I remember looking at the back and there was this old wizard on the back and I was just like, I do not want to read a book about some old crappy wizard. I don't care. Some old dude with a beard. Yeah. How, how am I meant to relate to this rubbish? Exactly. But I picked it up and gave it a go. And uh, yeah, I got sucked in ever since. I think I read all four of the ones that were out straight away. And ever since then, I think most of my childhood was waiting for the next book to come out. You were probably in the prime age group for Harry Potter, really, because I'm a couple of years older than you. And I, I think maybe it didn't quite sink in the same way to, to my generation the way it did to yours not that we're really different generations but you know <laughs> yeah I think so I mean I grew up with it and when I was 16 uh, the Deathly Hallows came out so I was pretty much the same age as they were so I think I kind of grew up as they grew up as well because the earlier books were kind of a bit more innocent and youthful and I was really young then but by the time the li- later darker books came out I was a teenager angsty teenager so yeah they grew up with me so why is it still such a big part of your life now you get around in your Gryffindor scarf <laughs> on the reg I do and I, I've thought about it a lot because I guess you lie awake <laughs> at night pondering yeah. your Harry Potter fandom I'm like lying there going oh, why am I so yeah I think the reason for it is just the fact that the world building in Harry Potter is just so like elaborate and detailed I think it's easy not to notice but when you really think about it there were they were like candy wrappers that were designed so that you could fully immerse yourself in that world and imagine what it would really be like to get your letter go off to Diagon Alley and get all your stuff and then go on to Hogwarts and what life would actually be like I mean a lot of fantasy is so abstract or far away from your own life that you can't really necessarily see yourself living that Whereas with Harry Potter, you could, I, I mean, I could, and I still wait. I'm still waiting for my letter that I'm going to... It hasn't arrived just yet. Yeah, I'll be a mature age student, but that's fine. I'm happy. 
what's your more recent Harry Potter experience, the highlight of your life? Why? <laughs> Why the highlight of your life? Uh, it was so well done. So it's at Universal Studios in Orlando, and they have Ollivanders, so um, where you can go and get your wand. It's sort of done like an experience, so you have to line up in groups, and they'll pick someone out of the crowd to do the demonstration, and usually they pick small children, but I think I was so excited that they uh, luckily chose me, and I had to use a few different wands with Ollivander to test them out and they did it really well the wands didn't work so well but when I got my wand the one that was picked just for me obviously what is your wand? Uh, so it's a hazel wand with a phoenix feather core and I picked up the wand and they had a gust of wind played and the lights flashed and there was the Harry Potter music played as I was standing there holding my wand and I was quietly weeping in front of like <laughs> 30 people um, all the small children saying, "Why is the lady crying?" Yeah, what is she doing? It's just, uh, it's just a toy. It's hard to put into words that it's sort of generation defining for a lot of people our age. Are you guys ready to score this thing? I'll go straight into my scoring metric. If you want to give Harry Potter a one, you're firstly an idiot, but also you think that it is like drinking unicorn blood, an abomination of the highest order. Is it two? It looks like a delicious bean. But it tastes like earwax. (laughs) Three, it's a large three-headed dog, which means it's impressive, but sometimes it bites. Four, a brand new Nimbus 2000 under your Christmas tree. Or 150, you've just caught the elusive golden snitch. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going first? Uh, It's absolutely 150 out of five. Golden snitch for me. Absolutely loved it. Great writing, great characters, great setting, fun as hell. 150 out of five. I will also agree and say that it is a golden snitch. Absolutely. What about you, Keith? Are you going to go with the crowd? Or? <sighs> I'm going to have to because it's so close to a golden snitch. To call it anything but would be rude. But the reason I'd leave that tiny little gap is because I think the rules of Quidditch just rub you up the wrong way. <laughs> no, nothing to do with that. It's just that I think it's going to get even better in the subsequent books and maybe after the second book, that is. And I need to leave a bit of room there for scoring. But it's still golden snitching. Oh, see, if you leave a little bit of room, that means that we've only ever had one completely five-star book. Assuming, Patrick. Patrick? Yeah, it's a hun- it's 150 mother flipping points. There's, <laughs> there's no doubt whatsoever. Game over. Yeah, it's, it's five for me as well, but I'll reinvent the scale when I have to down the track. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're allowed to rate multiple things five. It's okay. Yeah, but when I'm comparing them directly, it's like I want to be, this is better than that. I want to somehow allow for it to get better. All right. I think we're in agreement then. Well, this absolutely. is a 150 point book and it's it's well worth Checking out, revisiting, going back, having another crack at the magical world of Harry Potter. This is the kind of book that you can read every year and and fall in love again and again and again, says the guy who's read it once. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bravo, Keith. The next book is a curious one for me, one that I've spent my entire life wondering about, dreading and ultimately avoiding. It's a crusty old thing. (laughs) Written in 1868, which, to give you some idea, was shortly after the American Civil War and in the same decade in which Hugo's War and Peace, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea were published. It is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Find out why Brie chose it, why I've avoided it and what the two boys think of it next episode. Until then... 
If you spend your days playing with your wand, crafting love potions, or hiding under cloaks and observing private moments, then you might be a wizard and not just a sex pest. <laughs> so chin up and keep reading. I don't think you can you use can that. Use <laughs> no, I can't. Those words will like send up alerts right across the globe. No. Oh, that's fantastic. No. <laughs> We're going to mix it up a little bit to end this deluxe episode of Seeking Tumness. You're about to hear some highly enjoyable beats from a Scottish Perthshire-based group called the Dust Jackets, about none other than the wonderful J.K. Rowling. Check them out on bandcamp.com. As usual, hang about for some after-song fun. And I'll also slip in a parental advisory note here. This song does contain a little explicit content. Thanks, Colin. Ladies and gentlemen, we present for your delectation the Dust Jackets. With a composition, we present to you and dedicate to J.K. Rowling. Take it away, boys. Thank you, John. I'm here with my man, Philip Truman, yeah, and we're yeah. going to tell you about something you all know about. Tell we're talking about, about J.K. Rowling, number one authoress on the planet. Yeah, I agree. The Queen of Quidditch. We love you. You're a little like choking with a lot more cleavage, a little less Masonic and a lot more teenage. I really like wizards, I really like school, so I really like the way that you combine the two. How about a book about zombies at college, skipping roll call a poor on the porridge. What about a witch doing teacher training? A softcore story with a little bit of caning. How about an exorcist at nursery school? Updating toilet training and playing the fool. Do you ever get the feeling of deja vu? Hey, I think I had that during Harry Potter 2. When I worked in Woolworths and I was selling chocolates, I supersized the pick and mix with Chamber of Secrets. When your new book's out, I'll probably read it on the net, because I don't pay for anything and that includes sex. J-K-R-O-W-L-I-N-G you do what you do, and it mystifies me. H-O-G-W-E-R-T-S You're showing the world how you handle success. Now that I've spelled out my deepest intentions, I'd like to commend you on your greatest inventions. Let's start with Harry and his Thunderbolt Mark. Are you in a valley? Am I pissing in the dark? He speaks to the snakes, but that doesn't mean he's tripping. You hang out with all types when you're an orphan. But he made lots of friends when he got into school. It wasn't his catchment, but they said it was cool. Ron and Hermione, he's ginger, she's tiny. They step in just in time just to save Harry's hiney. Dumbledore also keeps a close eye on it, but he doesn't break the rules because he'll get in a ship. And what's all this jive about his top secret army? Those fuckers are pumped like the motherfucking army. Didn't you catch him in the YMCA? Yeah, he was recruiting, but that doesn't mean he's gay. A 
rumor around the net, you've had a nip and a tuck But they're just player haters and I don't give a fuck I guess you gotta do what you do to survive And at least you won't be sagging at 105 What comes next now it's all on its course And Harry got his cocker in a play about a horse You killed Richard Harris but I'm sure he was proud At least they cast someone who was better endowed She's a serpentine queen with her Gordon Brown dreams Of quasi-mystic magic weeks of evil extreme Now she just writes books, that's as far as it goes I sense no agenda in her magical prose But I've done research on conspiracy forums Ah, that's just a soapbox for crackheads and morons But what about the clues that she spread through her books? Ah, she's not Dan Brown, you motherfucking cooks! Potter and the philosopher, uh, philosopher, the stone. <laughs> We're going to spoil parts of Harry Potter and the philosopher, and more. Ooh, I banged my microphone. It is little. Pepper pots. 